morning again. The concept of obedience and I have a very difficult relationship. And for a long time it stemmed, or people would tell me it stemmed, from the fact that I have what they call oppositional defiance. Which is that as soon as somebody tells me to do something, I am going to do the opposite. And so I live with this reality thinking that that's just my nature. That's just who I am. I am this person. You need to ask me. Don't tell me. If you tell me, you're probably not getting a positive response from me. If you ask me, there's probably a good chance that I'm going to do what you ask. The more I started to think about it, though, I started to wonder where this complicated relationship with obedience came from. Why do I struggle with this idea? Why is it so difficult for me to just be obedient? And I think that every parent, at some point, has probably asked that about their children. And I started to realize two things, two concepts, as I began to approach this. And these two concepts form the basis of really what I want to talk about today. In Christian circles, we use the word obedience a lot, don't we? We really emphasize this idea. We spend a lot of time talking about how important it is to be obedient in the Christian life. And while I don't disagree with that as a concept, I am concerned with the way <coughs> it has been weaponized and used as an instrument of abuse and coercion. The church has become very good at implementing systems and rules to ensure that people look, act, and speak the way that we are supposed to. We have established statements of faith and creeds in an attempt to ratify what right belief and proper obedience looks like. In the process, we make decisions about who belongs and who doesn't who we're willing to associate with, and who we're not. And then we force people into these molds that we've created. We demand strict obedience and adherence to our codes of conduct. This, to me, is an absolute abuse of the concept of obedience. And in many ways is anti-biblical. And it arises as a result of two faulty and destructive methods of viewing the Scriptures 
and of viewing the concept of obedience. The first comes from the belief that the Bible is somehow an instruction book that provides us with a system or a blueprint about how to live our lives. Anyone caught not obeying this blueprint or following this system is punished or excluded from being a part of our community. And ultimately, we claim, is punished by an angry and vengeful God. Now, of course, we're going to disguise this vengeful nature of God by calling it justice. The truth is that vengeance and punishment have very little to do with true justice. But that's a topic for another day. This way of looking at the Bible creates obedience out of fear of punishment. This is the metaphor of the stick, right? We're going to use the stick to demand obedience from people. And if you don't obey, we'll hit you with the stick, right? And over the course of its history, the church has used this method very, very well. We have excluded, harmed, and marginalized millions of people by using the Bible in this way. Those who know me know that I have a tendency not to shy away from controversy. So this next statement might come as a little bit of a shock to people, or maybe not. The threat of hell is perhaps the most overt way that the church has used to coerce obedience from its people. But it's by no means the only way. The eventual results of this type of thinking and this type of obedience are rigidity and uncompromising judgmentalism. The moment I create obedience through fear of punishment, then I create this rigid thinking, you have to be this way. If you are not, then you are not worthy. You are not acceptable. You are not good enough. Now the second view of obedience arises from a different belief of the Bible, and that is that the Bible is a book that shows all the ways that people who follow the rules will be rewarded. In order to participate in these rewards, you have to prove your worth by obeying everything that it commands you. This is the vending machine God. 
that says that if you do the right things, say the right words, read the right books, and have the right beliefs, then you're going to get your candy bar. You will be rewarded. This way of looking at the Bible creates obedience out of expectation of reward. So if the first one creates obedience out of fear of punishment, this one is obedience out of expectation of reward. This is the metaphor of the carrot. And it showcases a God who dangles the promise of something better in front of you in exchange for your unquestioned obedience. Now this becomes dangerous when life doesn't work out the way we believe it should. Or we do not receive the rewards that we believe are our due because of how obedient we've been. And the eventual results of this type of thinking are either a debilitating anxiety as we constantly worry about whether we are doing enough to get our reward, or a deep anger and resentment over not receiving the rewards we believe are ours by right of our obedience. Now, Maybe you've already guessed it by now, but I don't believe that either of these concepts, whether obedience out of fear of punishment or obedience out of expectation of reward, was what Jesus intended for us at all. Now in John 14, 23, Jesus makes this statement, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." We read that, we hear it. So he's asking for obedience. But I do not believe he's asking for obedience out of fear or asking out of expectation of reward. I don't believe Jesus set out to create obedience based on a system of rewards and punishments. You see, because Jesus saw the Scripture as more than simply an instruction book for ethical living or a way of determining the rules for life. Jesus saw the Scripture as pointing to a reality more powerful than any ethical system we could hope to build. And He viewed life as being lived in response to something more transformative than words on a page. or man-made rules and regulations. Just prior to the Sermon on the Mount, we read of Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. As Jesus stood up from the water's baptism, He heard these words, This is My beloved child with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved child, with whom I am well pleased. 
This seemingly innocuous statement is perhaps one of the most important statements in all of Scripture. And it's ultimately one of the most important statements in our own life. This is my beloved child. No more powerful or transformational words have ever been spoken. When Jesus heard these words, He believed them. Not partially or half-heartedly, but completely and with His entire being. Every moment of Jesus' life was lived in the truth that He was loved by God. And it affected everything He said and everything He did. It is this same reality of hearing those words and knowing deep in our beings that we are God's beloved. That Jesus meant when He stated, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you really know Me, you will know My Father as well. From now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. The way of Jesus is not an ethical system built on fear of punishment or the promise of reward. Rather, it is a life that is filled with, surrounded by, and deeply impacted by the same love that had been expressed to Him in His baptism. He is telling us that we are loved as we are. This is my commandment, Jesus says. And what is it? That you love one another as I have loved you. Our obedience is not based on a fear of punishment. It's not based on the promise of a reward. Rather, it is born as a response to knowing that we are loved deeply, completely, utterly, God is not seeking unthinking, unfeeling automatons. Nor is He looking for cowering, groveling psychophants. He is seeking living, breathing human beings. Creatures that from the beginning He saw and said, they are very
Jesus offers us a way to return to our true humanity. To return to our identity as God's beloved children. This truth offers a vibrant and powerful alternative to the punishment or reward-based systems that we have followed and created for so long. Again, Jesus was calling for obedience, but not out of fear of punishment or out of expectation of reward. The obedience Jesus is presenting is the natural outcome of a loving relationship with Him and is the response to the deep knowledge that we are known and loved by Him. The difference between following an ethical system and being consumed by love can be seen in the way that ethical systems actually constrain action. Punishment and reward-based systems always give parameters for right action. You do this and this. And that's what happened with the followers in the parable that was read, right? You have heard it said, walk one mile. I tell you, walk two. So the disciples at the time, or the people at the time that heard this, walk two, walk two, walk two. You know what? We're making a rule out of walking two. Anybody that wants to be a part of our group needs to walk two miles. You must walk two miles, they said. This was the rule that defined them as a community. And while this action is better than nothing, right? I mean, walking the extra mile, walking that second mile, it's better than nothing. It completely misses the point of what Jesus was trying to say here. And so he comes back to them and he says this, your law says that you must carry a pack for two miles. My law says carry it for three. You see, because a life consumed by love breaks through the constraints that we put on it. It breaks through the rules that we have. And it responds with reckless abandon. Love always seeks to do more than the law demands. Instead of waiting to find out what ought to be done, the one who is deeply affected by love gives in excess of the law and so fulfills it by exceeding its mandate. This is what Jesus meant when he stated that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Four words. All the law and the prophets. Love God, love people. That's it. And we want to complicate it. 
by adding all kinds of rules and regulations to it. This is also what he meant when he stated, uh, do not think I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Fulfilling the law is not a matter of following the rules. It is not about checking off items on some cosmic list. It is about being so deeply affected by love that we blow the rules right out of the water. Jesus' exhortations in the Sermon on the Mount go like this, right? You have heard it said, but I say. And his statements push things way further than the law ever could. The statements he makes provide a much more difficult challenge for us than the law requires. If a man slaps you on your right cheek, offer him your left cheek. If he wants your shirt, give him your coat. Love those. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What is going on? The point is not the rule. The point is that these statements are not bottom line thinking. They are extravagant and reckless responses to the love we have been given. Love always moves us beyond bottom line thinking. Beyond simple rule following. Beyond a fear of punishment or an expectation of reward. Because love is always more. Love is ever expanding. Love always grows, not just deeper, but wider. Love always loves people more, and love always loves more people. Let me say that again. Love always loves people more. And love always loves more people. Love calls us to community. Love calls us to humanity. Love calls us to each other. Love stretches us to ever-increasing acts of love. Because love changes how we see ourselves and how we see the world. A realization of how much we are loved by God will always lead 
to extravagant acts of blessing. Because love changes our perspective and makes us realize how much love is needed in this world. When we realize that we are loved, it should then lead to a realization that everyone around us is also loved. This realization should create a solidarity with people that leads us to want to express that love in practical and tangible ways. Again, love causes us both to love people more and to love more people. And to express that love in acts of blessing and compassion. Love moves us into obedience because it completely alters our perspective. One final story as I close. When I asked Jen to marry me, she didn't lay a list of rules down on the table and tell me that I had to read them and memorize them and then obey them. She did not place upon me the fear of punishment if I did not obey, or the expectation of reward if I did. Instead, she simply offered me her love. In this simple act, she gave me the one thing that had the ability to completely change me. Now over the course of 27 years of marriage to Jen, I can show you all the ways that I changed for her. All the things that I did for her. But these actions were not fear-based. Or expectation-based. They were a direct response to the love that she gave me. Her willingness to love me changed me and changed how I saw myself. And in that moment, I began to live my life in response to that love. So I live in a way that honors it. That shows that it matters to me. that shows that the love that she is willing to give me matters. And that I appreciate the love that she offers. Like Jen, God's love has forever changed me. And my life is forever lived within its embrace. And my life is one continual response to the love that I have been shown.
So may you recognize how much you are loved by the God who gives you life. May you hear Him say, this is my beloved child. May you allow the truth of that love to sink deep within you and radically alter your perspective. May every thought, word, and action be in direct response to the love that you know is yours. And may you find yourself living in reckless, extravagant obedience. Let's pray. God, again, I want to thank you, as always, for the love that you have shown and continue to show for the love that transforms and changes and alters, for the love that permeates all things and everyone. I thank you for the love that you have shown me, for the love that you have shown everyone. And I pray, God, that we would consistently remain connected to the truth of that love. That we would allow that love to change us, to alter us, and to move us into obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few questions as we enter into a bit of sharing time. Just a few questions for you to consider and to think about. How have obedience through fear of punishment and obedience through fear of reward been a part of your life? How have these two concepts shaped and impacted your worldview or your view and your response and reaction to obedience? Because I know for myself that obedience through fear of punishment absolutely shaped my relationship to obedience. Where, when I come back to the very beginning of my message, where did my disobedience spring from? I believe that's it. I got to a point in fear of punishment where I just said, I'm going to get punished anyway, so what the heck? Might as well just do what I want. Secondly, what does love mean to you? This is a crucial question. I think part of our issue with love is, and why we have such a problem with it is one of two things. One, we either don't understand what it means, or two, we do, and it absolutely terrifies us. How do you act around someone you love or someone who loves you? Why is that? 
Why do our actions change when we're around somebody we love? Why do they change when we're around somebody who loves us? What brings about that change? And finally, a quote from my message. A realization of how much we are loved by God will always lead to extravagant acts of blessing. Because love changes our perspective and makes us realize how much love is needed in this world. Question then. When you look at the world, do you think it needs more fear? Do you think it needs more promises of reward? Or do you think it needs more love? And what are some actions that you have been or can take to bring more love into the world? We want to open it up to sharing. Anybody that wants a response to something they heard today? Anybody that wants to share a prayer request? Mics are open. Now is your opportunity to come up and share.